Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38 this morning. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Thus, reading of God's word, you may be seated. Go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, how we do pray that you give us eyes to see, uh, even as the Lord Jesus Christ sees, that truly the harvest is plentiful, that even in the darkness of our own world, that there is yet a harvest where there is a need for laborers. Lord, help us to have compassion like the Lord Jesus, to seek and save that which is lost. And may it be that you would send laborers into your harvest and that there would be in our day a great reaping wherein you restore your church, even as you have done so often in the past. For we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What can be very easy to be discouraged about the spiritual state of our country and even just the state of our country in in general. Uh, If you think about the church in particular, there are a number of reasons to be discouraged. If you look at the church broadly, you see compromises everywhere. We see even further the influence of the church on society is waning, that as the church compromises with the world, it really has nothing left to say to the world as it basically adopts the, the wisdom of the world. We see generally the Word of God is not preached. We see a historically low attendance in this country, in in church. This has been happening, of course, uh, in the entire country, but particularly in the Bay Area, it's been happening uh, for some time. We live in a place that is uh, very dark spiritually, and there is a corresponding uh, darkness in our entire country. Even that, that's You can see it beyond even just the attendance uh, of people in church that there are more flagrant and open sins that are accepted and treated as good today than there were in the past. And this has, in fact, grown quite significantly. And if we look even beyond our country, you could say there is reason to be discouraged even here. We are following the same trajectory as Europe, and Europe has in many ways passed us in this trajectory. 
Uh, we see Australia going in a similar direction. We see Canada going in a similar direction. And this is to say nothing of the places that have historically been very, very dark. You think of places like China, North Korea, uh, Afghanistan, and other countries even within the Middle East. Uh, many of these places are, uh, are dark spiritually, and it seems like the light of the gospel is uh, being extinguished. And if you were to ask, what is needed? What is needed for this to turn around? And is it possible for it to turn around? Perhaps you could come to some societies and say, uh, perhaps about our own, you know, we recognize that there are certain things that are sinful, that are bad, are being accepted, and therefore things that we need are better policies, whereby sin is called sin and there are laws that uh, truly count evil as evil and punish evildoers and that are, that are, are, are a reward for the righteous. You could say there are trends in people's thinking in society that need to be changed and people need to influence people towards better ways of thinking with regard to uh, morality. You could perhaps think that there are just practices that are being done where businesses and people take advantage of others and these need to be stopped. Now there could be, in all of these things, there could be a place for all of them. But really none of them, none of those things are really what this country needs and what this world needs. All of those can only ever be uh, basically symptoms, and it can address the true root issue. The thing that is needed in our country and in every country in the world is the growth of the kingdom of God as expressed in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will always be great problems in society. Society will always be moving towards its own destruction until it embraces the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to then ask the next question then, okay, if, if there's a need for the kingdom of God to advance, how is it that the kingdom of God can advance? And perhaps you would say, as, as many have tried to say, we need to make sure that our churches are attractive to people, that, that, that there are programs that kids can have peers their own age, and if we, if we do this, then people will come, and therefore we'll be able to influence people. Or perhaps you think, you know, if we just make our worship service attractive to others, if we uh, think about things that are entertaining to others, and we kind of emulate them, and then still have the preaching word, uh, we have this worship that's attractive, then, then we will be able to get people in our doors. Perhaps we think if we just make our message relevant to the world, if we just address the things that people are concerned about uh, today, whatever that may be, then we will, in fact, uh, have see church membership uh, uh, increase and church attendance increase, and then the kingdom will be advanced. And brothers and sisters, again, none of that is really what the church needs. The, the great thing that the church needs above everything else, as the Lord Jesus Christ makes plain here, is the preaching of of the Word of God. That is the great thing that is needed. And if you look back at the history of the church, you will see this very thing. The kingdom of God is always, it always advances in the greatest ways when there is the preaching of the Word of God. When God sends many laborers into the harvest field who preach the Word and they do it faithfully, and then God gives His blessing by His Spirit for people to then respond in faith to the preaching of the word. That is always, that is always the way in which the church moves forward. And as we think about the world moving to sin, this has to be the thing that we recover and that we put all of our emphasis and hope in, that God would bless the means he has appointed to call sinners to himself, which is the preaching of the word. And so the answer then to the question is, is there hope? Is very clearly yes. Yes. 
And we know there's hope from what the Lord Jesus Christ says here. And that is that the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Now, it may not appear to us now that the harvest is plentiful. But as we'll see, it did not appear that way to the Lord Jesus Christ in his day either. You just look out at the spiritual state and condition of the world in which Jesus Christ was living. And even the way in which people in his day responded to his own message, you would have to conclude the harvest is not plentiful. And into that situation, very similar to ours today, the Lord Jesus Christ declares to us, the harvest is in fact plentiful. The question then is, if the harvest is plentiful, and if this is the basis of our hope, what is it that you should do in response to it? What is it that you need to do? Not all are going to be preachers. In fact, very, very few people are going to be preachers. But notice it is significant here that as the Lord Jesus Christ begins to speak about the propagation of the message of the gospel, the first instruction he actually gives to Christians is to pray, is to pray that, that Christians would pray that there would be laborers sent into the harvest field. And so, as we look out on the world, the thing that is needed is the preaching of the Word of God in every place, in every society, in every culture. The thing that is needed is, is the preaching of the Word of God. And the thing that you must do is pray that you would, in fact, raise up many people to preach this gospel of the kingdom. Now, this passage is something of a transition. We, we saw a couple weeks ago that uh, the, the passage in uh, in chapter 9, verses 32 through 34, is also something of a transition. That was the conclusion of uh, Christ's miracles in chapters 8 and 9. So you remember, the purpose of Matthew chapters 8 and 9 was to show that Christ has absolute sovereign authority over everything. And this was basically to validate his message given in chapters 5 to 7, because at the end of that message, we were told that he was teaching like one who had authority. And Matthew chapters 8 and 9 is the proof that the Lord Jesus Christ really has always had that authority, and he does have that authority. He's sovereign over every single part uh, of, uh, of the world. Everything is created by him, and everything is, in fact, under his sovereign control. Now, with the conclusion of the miracles given in chapter 9, we really have also the conclusion to basically a summary of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll, you'll note that in verse 35, there is... Uh, a summary of the teaching ministry of Christ, not just the teaching ministry, but really the entire ministry of Christ, where it says that the Lord Jesus Christ was going through all the cities and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues, preaching and healing every sickness and every disease of the people. So he did basically three things. Two of them could be combined. He taught and he preached. And then secondly, he also uh, healed. And this is really a summary of the entire ministry of Christ as Matthew has introduced it. So we have the teaching and the preaching introduced in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, a summary of basically what the Lord Jesus said when he taught about the kingdom of God. And then we have the, the miracles that he did in chapters 8 and 9, which proved his authority. And in fact, uh, verse 35 of chapter 9 is actually parallel to, verse, uh, to chapter 4, verse 23. It's basically the same verse. And so chapter 4, verse 23 introduces the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ by summarizing it. Chapter 9, verse 35, uh, summarizes it as it is passed, and basically everything in the middle, which is chapters 5 to 9, is basically the teaching, preaching, and the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the point in explaining that is simply to say that this is something of a transition. Matthew has completed his introduction to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given to us the message, and he's shown to us 
The message has to be true because it comes from the authoritative Son of God. That's what he has proved. Now, if this is the case, then the next thing that has to happen is there has to be a propagation of the message. That this message then has to go out. The ministry has to then expand to, uh, as we'll see eventually in the book of Acts, to all the nations. But initially, at least, to, to all of Israel. And therefore, we have here the beginning of the instructions for the propagation of uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you remember one thing I said a couple of weeks ago is that this is part of the transition into Matthew now beginning to speak about the reception of the ministry of Christ. So we have the ministry of Christ given to us, but in chapters, particularly in 11 and 12, the thing that Matthew is going to do is he's going to show how the message of the Lord Jesus Christ was received. And it's important to keep this in mind because, as we'll see, in chapters 11 and 12, predominantly the response was unbelief. Predominantly the response was unbelief. And yet, even so, before he sends out his disciples, which is what happens in chapter 10, to make this message known to all of Israel, he tells them that the harvest is in fact plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, and yet the workers are few. Now, it's significant. It's significant in light of where we are in the gospel to, to, of Matthew to keep in mind then, again, that the very first thing that Matthew will record Jesus saying as he moves from summarizing the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ to speaking about the propagation of the kingdom, that the very first thing he records Jesus saying is that all Christians must pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest field. That as you look around darkness all around you, and you think about the need for this great message to go out to the whole earth, the thing that you need to keep in mind is that you must pray. You must pray. You must pray for the advancement of this kingdom, and not just in any abstract way, but that, that God would raise preachers to preach the word of God. That is the obligation that the Lord Jesus Christ puts on you for the, for the propagation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, we'll look at this passage under three headings. First, we'll consider Christ's compassion in verse 36. His compassion, verse 36. And then Christ's assessment of basically the situation in verse 37, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, the laborers are few. And then in verse 38, we'll consider Christ's command to pray. The is to show that the elect are gathered and that God's kingdom is advanced through the prayers given to God to raise up preachers. That is the thing that, that is being shown here today, that the elect are gathered and God's kingdom advanced through the prayers for God to raise up preachers. Now we'll look first at verse 36. We, we considered verse 35 in the introduction. It's, again, just a summary of the ministry. And it's important for us to understand where we're in the flow of thought. We'll begin with verse 36 in particular as we consider uh, the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, this is, this is basically what everything hinges on when we think about uh, the need for the gospel to go forward. Christ finishes in Matthew's gospel, the summary of the teaching, we, we now have all of the miracles, and now he looks out at the crowds, he has compassion on them, because he knows they need to hear this message of the kingdom. He has compassion on them, because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And basically what this does then is it shows that everything, in terms of the propagation of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom of God, 
the, the preaching of the Word of God, everything is founded on the fact that Christ is a compassionate Christ, that He is, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, not one who simply lords it over others, but that He is one who is, in fact, compassionate. And therefore, we have to, to, to understand then that when we think about um, God's grace, His mercy, His love, His kindness, we often think in our circles about this being only in terms of uh, His grace to call sinners to Himself. This, of course, would be um, probably the highest form of God's grace as we think about it, His love. Uh, but yet, even the call itself is an act of love. When the gospel is put before any person, it is put before that person because there is love. And not just love by any individual, but love from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Even regardless of response, as we'll see. Remember, many people are going to reject the Lord Jesus Christ here. That's going to be the predominant message in chapters 11 and 12. The message has been rejected. And yet, and yet, Christ has compassion and He sends out people to preach the gospel uh, to others. We see this even particularly with Mark chapter 10, verse 21, where Jesus is interacting with the, with the rich young ruler who will turn away from him, as, as we all know from, the, from that story. And one of the things that Mark, and this is unique to Mark's recounting of this passage, is it says that when, uh, when the rich young ruler tells Jesus that he has, in fact, obeyed all the commandments, that it says Jesus looked at him, he loved him, and then he said, if you would be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. It was an act of love. It was truly an act of love for him to look at that man and, and tell him, this is the thing that you need to do. And if you do this thing, you will find life. This is the way that, that the Lord Jesus Christ has always been. Whenever there is an opportunity to share the gospel, this means for you, brothers and sisters, as well, that whenever there's an opportunity for you to share the gospel, that you must be clear. There needs to be no compromise with regard to the message. We do want to point people to the, to the reality that there is sin, that the sin is serious, that it brings you into a judgment. You are guilty before God. But there is a very real sense, brothers and sisters, in which what we want to communicate as well is that we truly love the person we're speaking to. And the reason we are telling them a message that they may end up hating and rejecting is because we love them and because we care for them. Because we do not want them to experience the misery of sin any longer. And we do not want them to continue on the path towards judgment. And therefore, we put the message before all people, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has done. There is a need for compassion when we speak to anyone about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes the question is asked, um, what should be our aim and goal in missions and in evangelism? Are we to seek out um, people to share the gospel with for the sake of the glory of God or, for the, or simply for the salvation of souls? Now, sometimes this question is put in order to uh, call the church back there has been times in, in history, maybe even recent history, even happening now, when there is an emphasis solely on the conversion of people, the, the, the salvation of souls, and there's really no thought to the glory of God. And the only thing that really matters is that people will be converted. And sometimes this question is asked, you know, to, to remind the church that we are to seek as our highest in all things, not the salvation of souls. But brothers and sisters, as helpful as that question may be in terms of orienting us towards our highest end, because of course our highest end is the glory of God, uh, we have to keep in mind that those two ideas should never be pitted against each other. They should never be pitted against each other. And in fact, it ought to be our desire to see the name of God glorified 
that gives us the ability to be even more compassionate with others. Those things are never to be pitted against one another. And we are to do both as we think about uh, the need for people to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be compassionate. We're to look out the crowds as the Lord Jesus Christ did and to be compassionate because we recognize that they are in fact miserable in their sins and that there is a message of hope, the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is, brothers and sisters, that those who do die outside of the Lord Jesus Christ will be judged and will in fact go to hell where they will spend an eternity there. And it is true concern for people that would enable us to speak to them even when our message may offend them because we truly do care about their condition as sinners. And so the question is, brothers and sisters, as you think about your own personal evangelism and those around you who do not know Christ, do you have the kind of compassion for them that the Lord Jesus Christ has for them? And does that drive you to find any way to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ before them, to put it before them in love, not harshly, but out of a true concern for them. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, and this is the way in which we are to grow in our conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice even the way that the Lord Jesus Christ describes them. They are described as, uh, as being uh, weary, isn't the translation that I have, weary and scattered. The idea here of, of weary is something like uh, harassed or cast down. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, they've been cast down to the ground. They're being harassed because of, of their sins. The idea here is that, that they are uh, in misery because of uh, being outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that then the next description is that they are like sheep without shepherds. They are scattered like sheep without shepherds. Now, this is a fitting description for anyone who is, is outside of Christ. And it truly is a fitting description for anyone uh, particularly today, who is outside of Christ, as our society um, casts aside the gospel with, with more and more force, and we are given more and more over to sin, we see greater and greater evidence of the misery that, that comes with it. You think of the, the number of people that are depressed uh, today, the number of people that have to take medication to avoid depression uh, today. Uh, you think of the number of overdoses, which has been uh, which is gone, going up, suicides going up, all of these things show that there is a real misery that comes from sin. And this is a fitting description of really any person who is outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is particularly clear today that this is, in fact, the way the world is. And so Christ sees that and he has compassion. And notice he describes them then as people like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the, the idea of being sheep without a shepherd is and you're just a part of an aimless group that has no idea where to go. There's no protection given uh, to you. There's no one to guide you and lead you. You're vulnerable. You can become a prey to any, any kind of wild animal. And so there is uh, a tenuousness and uh, an aimlessness that is present. Now, this description of being sheep without a shepherd is actually often used in the Old Testament to describe God's people when they do not have good leadership over them. So, for instance, when Joshua is taking over from Moses, one of the, the reasons why Joshua must succeed Moses in some way is because Joshua being raised up to be a leader over Israel means that the people of God will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And so God provides Joshua for the people that they would not be, be so. And we see this also um, in, 
in uh, descriptions of David as well. David is the king who was taken from, sh- from being a, a shepherd over uh, other flocks that he might shepherd the people of God. And whenever God's people do not have good leadership, they are like sheep without a shepherd. So in Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, the, the prophet Ezekiel will condemn all of the shepherds who basically abuse and take advantage of God's people. And then he says that he himself will come and he will be the shepherd to his people. And then even later in Ezekiel 34 and Ezekiel 37, he'll say that he'll also send his servant David, who is, of course, uh, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will be the shepherd uh, over the people of God. And so, this is one of the, and so this is one of the things that we see in terms of uh, when we think about the need for the gospel to go forward. Uh, what we're saying is we want the gospel to go forward such, such, that it, such that it is received and people go from being like sheep without a shepherd to being sheep with a shepherd. Now, one of the things that's clearly important is that all of missions, all evangelism, all senses in which we can think about the propagation of the gospel that it must always involve the church. It must always involve the church. Now, if there were a group that were to seek conversions, the conversions of many people, whereby you just simply get a person to make a decision for Christ, and then you leave them, and you go off and then try to make the next convert, the problem is, have you still not left them as a sheep without a shepherd? And the answer is yes, they're still a sheep without a shepherd because they're not, in, they're not put into a church whereby, uh, whereby there can be shepherds that guard the flock of God as the scriptures describe. And this is why missions must always be done in the context of the church, why it's therefore wrong for parachurch organizations, which are often focused on just this very thing, just mass conversions and then, and then really not thinking about uh, the local church, why this is in fact uh, not as helpful as it needs to be. Now, it's, it's easy to, to think about that and then, then to critique these, these groups, but brothers and sisters, often the reason why parachurch organizations grow so much is actually because of a failure in the church to be doing the work that it should be doing. So actually, the judgment should begin with us. The question is, have we been diligent enough in the work of missions? Have we been diligent enough as a church to strive for the advancement of the gospel in such a way that nobody would feel the need to have to create an organization outside the church to do the work that the church has been told that it must do? That's the question. It is really an indictment on our own churches that there has to be so many parachurch organizations doing the work that Christ has given to us to do. Now, and there's there's even other applications in this. Uh, This ought ought to govern our prayers for our own presbytery, that we we, we are looking for uh, churches that always have pastors, for instance, right now we have two churches in our presbytery without pastors, and we need to be diligent to be praying for them, that God would not leave them as sheep without shepherds. Now, even the word pastor, as you think about uh, the meaning of, of that word, it's basically just the Latin word for, for shepherd. So when you think of me as being a pastor, the reason I have that title is because I am to be a shepherd, an unshepherd of the one true shepherd, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. This is why even uh, why even your own church membership is so vitally important. If you, if you consciously set yourself apart from the church, you are saying, I as a sheep have no need for a shepherd, and I can be perfectly safe, contrary to the wisdom of Christ, in separating myself and not having a shepherd. I can basically get to where I need to go without the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this is what even uh, the Apostle Peter warns about in 1 Peter 5. The devil is, is roaming around like a lion seeking that which he will devour. He is seeking those who cut themselves off first and foremost. Uh, the, the lion always goes for, and, and all uh, uh, beasts of prey always go for, the animal that is cut off from the herd. Every individual animal is always safest when he is in the pack. And if you cut yourself off, you are then uh, saying you do not need the shepherd, the protection of the shepherd, and you are making yourself vulnerable to the devil himself. Now, all of these things then show the, the importance of uh, having a local church that is pushing forward the work of missions. And what we would say success is then, success in missions and evangelism is the planting of churches all over the world, such that there would be healthy churches where there are shepherds who are faithfully preaching and teaching the Word of God and looking over the flock and really being willing to even give their lives uh, for this. This is what we're seeking when we think of, of uh, there being sheep with a shepherd. And so this is the compassion that the Lord Jesus Christ shows. He's got compassion they're like sheep. He wants them to be sheep with a shepherd. And therefore, this drives him then to the next thing that he says in verse 37, which is the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, there are two questions that we need to ask. First is, what does the harvest refer to? And second, is the harvest really plentiful? Is it really plentiful? As, we, as I mentioned, there'd be a lot of ways in which you could look at what Jesus is saying here and, and say, you know, it doesn't appear to be that plentiful. But we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. What does the harvest refer to? Now, the harvest does not refer to believers. It doesn't, doesn't mean that there are many people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ currently. That's clearly not what it refers to. Jesus is looking at crowds that by and large do not believe in him. And he is saying that even yet the harvest is plentiful. So harvest being plentiful does not, believe, does not mean that the spiritual condition of the group is good now. It rather means that there are those who are predisposed to receive the gospel. This is the way Calvin interprets it. Calvin, uh, writing on this passage, says, By this metaphor, he intimates that many of the people are ripe for receiving the gospel. They've not received the gospel. They will receive the gospel. And thus, what's really being referred to here is the elect, that God has chosen some to receive this message of salvation. And even though it may look like many people do not believe, with the eyes of faith, Christ is able to, to see, as we are called to see, that there are in fact, there is in fact a large number, a plentiful number, that will receive the gospel message. They will receive it. The reason that that can be known is because it was foreknown by God. Christ knows that it was foreknown by God and foreordained by God, and therefore he can say God has ordained a lot of people to receive this gospel message. Therefore, as you look out and see vast amounts of unbelief, you can yet know that the harvest is in fact plentiful. Contrary to what your eyes tell you, it is in fact plentiful. And this is, again, because of election. And though there may be many who are adamantly opposed to the gospel now, we know that some will be turned by the preaching of the word. Some will be turned by the preaching of the word. This is why uh, the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10 says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I know there are some. I know there are some. God has declared it. He has made it known. Therefore, I will persevere and I will endure anything for the sake of this particular group. Now, 
leads us to the second question. Is the harvest plentiful? Is the harvest plentiful? As I mentioned, chapters 11 and 12, predominantly rejection, rejection of the Lord Jesus. And even today, say that many people, most people who hear the gospel will in fact reject it. Christ himself even gives some intimation that this will always be the case. Because he says uh, in Matthew chapter 7, he says, you know, the way is broad that leads to destruction. Many who find it, many people go on the broad way. The way that leads to life is narrow. It's difficult to get in, and there are few who find it. So in terms of the relative numbers there, the Lord Jesus Christ seems to be making it plain that there will be, there will always be many who will that that's that is certainly the case. And so, in what sense is the harvest plentiful? In what sense is the harvest plentiful? And if it was plentiful in Christ's day, is it plentiful to us today? The answer is, though there will certainly be a large number maybe even a large number that receive it, there will always be some who receive it from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That number, who receives it, will always be plentiful. There will be a large number all over the world who will always receive the gospel. It's not up to chance. It's not even up to the will of man. God has determined there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. And there will always be a large number that, that do in fact receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what is to motivate us, brothers and sisters, as we think about uh, the spiritual condition of our country. Is the harvest plentiful in our own day? You can look around and see that very many people do not believe. We know for certain God will call many people from America even in our generation, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not even just our country. In every country in the world, God will always have the gospel go forward with power, even as it has. We, we, we're, we read of it in, in the book of Revelation. There will be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue that will, will bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that every generation will be the same. It doesn't mean there won't be spiritual declension where there will be maybe even generations where than there was in, the, in previous generations. But it does mean that if you look at those who believe, there will be many. There will be many. If you look at the, 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 the raw numbers. There will, in fact, be many people who believe. And therefore, because God has already predetermined that this would be the case, we are to persevere in the work of evangelism and the work of missions at the church. We are not to judge how many are elect by the current state the spiritual condition of our country, of even our area, our city, or anything. We are to believe that the harvest is in fact plentiful, as the Lord Jesus Christ has said. This is, uh, this is what motivated the Apostle Paul. You think of uh, the Apostle Paul when he was in Corinth in, in Acts chapter 18. There was a, he receives a vision from God, and God says, But go on speaking and be not silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. I have many in this city who are my people. Therefore, go on speaking because they're going to be called. That is the attitude that we need to have. Now, it, it may be, you know, we, we don't have the same kind of, of guarantee in terms of this particular city at this particular time that the Apostle Paul had. We don't have that kind of direct revelation. And yet, the general principle is still true. The harvest is always plentiful. It's always plentiful. And it will continue to be plentiful to the end of time until the Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven. This is why Apostle Paul, preaching in Antioch, many opposed him. And yet Paul, he's forced out of Antioch. And yet it says in chapter 13, verse 48 of the book of Acts, that as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The harvest is plentiful because of election. 
That is the, the basis, the, 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 the theological foundation for the statement. God has predetermined that many will, in fact, come. And really, brothers and sisters, how could it be otherwise? How could it be otherwise? And even if you think about the, about the harvest, as discouraging as it may be to look at the state of the world today, the harvest is, in some sense, always riper now than it was when the Lord Jesus Christ made this statement. It's always riper now. For this is, is because once the Lord Jesus Christ dies and is raised from the dead, all the nations are to be called. They're to be called because of the outpouring of the Spirit, which happened after the Lord Jesus Christ made this particular statement. The Lord Jesus Christ now is at the right hand of the Father and is always pouring out His Spirit to draw many people to Himself. That is what He is always doing. And brothers and sisters, again, how could it be otherwise? How could it be that the heart would not be plentiful if, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior who has redeemed a people for Himself. The question to ask is, is the Son of God not worthy of having a large number of people saved for Himself? And the answer to that is clearly yes, He is worthy. He is worthy. Therefore, the number must be large in this way. The harvest has to be plentiful. This is the logic that's given in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, where in describing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, He says, it is too thing for you to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back Israel. It must be a light to the nations that salvation, my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. The idea is you are too glorious of a savior for your work of redemption only to apply to the little nation of Israel. It's a specific thing for Israel to be brought back. And you're going to be raised up for that. But it's too small a thing for that to be the case. Therefore, in light of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are obligated, brothers and sisters, to believe that the harvest is plentiful, not because of what our eyes see, but because Christ is worthy of a multitude of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and he will have those people worship him. He will have them. He has asked for the nations from the Father, and the Father will give him all the nations, which he will rule to the end of time. And so the harvest is plentiful. This is the sense in which the harvest is plentiful. And therefore, the command that's given is to pray. The harvest, but the problem is that the laborers are few. So we have a plentiful harvest. There's a lot of elect, and yet the fact few. And therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ says that you must pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers out into the harvest field. You are to look at the spiritual condition around you, and you, you and we we really have to conclude that it's very poor right now. You are to believe that yet the harvest is still plentiful because of what your eyes do not see. And then by faith, you are then to pray that God would in fact bring many who would raise up, uh, who, who would raise up many to preach the word of God. This is what it is mean by the workers. The workers are those who have been given to preach the word of God. This is actually what we're going to see in chapter 10. In chapter 10, Christ, uh, after speaking about the harvest being plentiful and there needing to be laborers in the harvest field, he then immediately sends out people to proclaim the gospel. So the, the connection is very clear. Uh, the, the workers are, in fact, those who preach the word of God. And so as you think about, then, the decline of this, of this country, you think about the decline of the church, you think about all the things that can be discouraging, the deterioration of morality, the deterioration, really, of all of society, the weakness of the church, and you think about what you can do to help the situation, and you think of all the things, where does prayer specifically, not just prayer in general, but prayer specifically that God would raise up preachers. 
Where does that fit into the list? And I would suggest, brothers and sisters, that it needs to be at the very top, at the very top. We're told that you do not have because you do not ask. The thing that's needed is the preaching of the word. And the question is, how zealously do you pray that God would, in fact, send laborers into the harvest field? This is the thing that is commanded. You know, Calvinism is often thought of as being cold and theoretical, as being academic and not practical, but notice this really is, it could not be further from the truth. Belief in the sovereignty of God here demands that you have compassion on all people and that you zealously pray for the expansion of the kingdom of God, asking that God would raise up people to preach the word of God. This is the way in which the gospel goes forward, and it really is the assurance that the, that the harvest is plentiful, that has always given strength to the people of God to persevere in all difficulties. We go because we know some will come. We preach because we know some will respond. We pray zealously because we know the harvest is in fact plentiful. May it be that God would in fact send laborers into the harvest field, that he would turn the situation around in this country, and may it be we would see a harvest in our own day, and may it be we are, would participate in it by praying zealously for it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how would you pray that you would stir our hearts to this end, that you would help us to, to uh, seek from you always laborers to come into the harvest field. We do pray that you would raise up many, oh God, and that you would advance your kingdom. We do pray that you would forgive us when we have been uh, slack in these kinds of prayers when we have been so absorbed with thinking about other kinds of solutions and we've neglected the one thing that is really necessary. Uh, may it be that we as a church would uh, do what you have called us to, that you would put this in our hearts and that you would answer our prayers for the sake of the glory and honor of your name. For we do ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart that through the preached word, your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.